Well, if you have been here the last couple weeks, if you're joining us in Liberty Hill, the gym venue, you may have seen these shirts around, the Tell the Story shirt. I'm thankful for the emphasis that has been conducted in our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our family ministry, so that everybody in our church has an opportunity to be on the same page around this concept of telling the story of Jesus Christ. As you've seen the shirt, I hope you're encouraged to be praying for our church family and all the families engaged in our church that we would be living in such a way in the weeks and months to come that we would be telling the story of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but we have a pet cat at our house. And Lindley's more of a cat person than I am. In fact, if you spent much time in our home, you would probably hear me say something less than positive about the pet cat. Back when we lived in Abilene, we lived on five acres out in the country, and I saw a lot of good reason to have cats around outside to keep the rats and the snakes down, but when you move into the city, it's hard to understand why a cat is useful. (laughs) But Lindley keeps telling me there's a good use for the cat, and I occasionally will say something a little bit nicer about the animal, but oftentimes you'll hear me say something not so kind about the animal. Now, Because of that, I can really relate to the scene that was created years ago in a commercial about an insurance company where a man comes home early from work and he begins to put together a romantic evening for his wife before she comes home. So he's got the candles set up and the dinner table set up and he's in the kitchen laboring away at this meal for his bride and he's working on an Italian feast. It's an amazing spread. He's working there in the kitchen. He's got the red sauce on the stove and On the counter, he's got some onions that he's cutting up fresh to put in that sauce. And as he's sitting there cutting the onions to add to the sauce while the sauce is cooking just right on the stove, their white cat comes into the kitchen, jumps up onto the counter, knocks the pot of sauce onto the ground. The cat falls into the sauce on the ground. The man, while still holding the knife, reaches down to grab the white cat, now covered in red sauce. At the very moment, his wife walks into the kitchen. (laughs) Now, I can tell you right now, that guy in that moment is thinking to himself, it's not good to be misrepresented, (laughs) right? Nobody likes to be misrepresented, nobody at all, God most of all. In Exodus chapter 20, we are told about God, that he wants us to worship him and worship him alone. That we are to craft no other image before him. We are not to pursue idolatry. We are to worship God and God alone. He is the only true God. And in Exodus chapter 20, it says that God is a jealous God. You know what that means? That God is motivated for a correct representation of who he is. He is motivated to be represented correctly so that those he has made to worship him will worship him. He is motivated for correct representation of who he is because he understands that we have an enemy who is scheming to deceive the world so that the world might think of God incorrectly and instead of worshiping the one true God would worship everything and anything else but God. 
So God wants to be correctly represented. And he has revealed himself and told us what we need to know about him in his word. And as we dug into Revelation chapter 13 last week, we were reminded of what will come. A day when deception will be at unprecedented proportions and in unprecedented effectiveness. Wielded by the enemy to turn the entire world away from God. Completely deceived and totally in rebellion. We read all of Revelation 13 last week. I want to just remind you of what Revelation 13 says. Then we'll read a focus passage there in Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is the story of the red dragon, Satan, who raises up a couple of beasts, a beast from the sea and the beast from the land. That's the label that's given these individuals who join together with the red dragon, experiencing the authority and the power of the red dragon forming this unholy trinity so that the world might be deceived into adopting a perspective towards God that leads to complete and total rebellion against God and worship of Satan. And so Satan brings forth the first beast, the beast from the sea. And the beast from the sea is this individual who's received a wound, a fatal wound, but is brought back to life. And everything we're going to see that the dragon is doing with the beast from the sea and the beast from the land is a complete counterfeit of everything God is. Whereas we have the God, the Father, and we have God, the Son, and we have God, the Spirit, the triune God, the enemy sets up an unholy trinity to convey deception so that people would worship Satan. So Satan sets up the beast from the sea who has received a fatal wound, who is resurrected or raises to life and amazes the world. Victory over death. And this amazement that the world has with the beast from the sea turns into worship of the beast, which then is worship of the dragon. So the dragon is conveying the opportunity to worship himself to the world through the beast from the sea who has received this fatal wound. You see God the Father, God the Son in counterfeit there. And then the dragon raises up this second beast, the beast from the land, beast of the earth. And the beast of the earth comes on the scene and begins to perform signs and wonders, calling fire down from heaven as if to create credibility for the beast from the sea, the one to receive the wound is raised to life. And all the signs and wonders being performed move everyone not to worship the beast from the earth who's performing the signs and wonders, but to move everyone to worship the beast from the sea, the one who received the wound is raised again to life and ultimately give worship to Satan, the dragon. Do you see the counterfeit here? And so the, the dragon sets up this unholy trinity in order to draw the world into unparalleled deception, unlike we will ever see. And the entire world turns against God and those who would call on Jesus Christ and worships the dragon in total deception, and there will be no more repentance that's revelation 13 and in revelation 13 we see the tactics of the enemy in the most clarifying way 
Because there's no time in all of history where the tactics of the enemy are more successful than the end of time. What we need to realize by seeing Revelation 13 is that God has shown us what will come so that we, where we live right now, right today, would know how to live in light of what will come. So Revelation 13 is God's truth to us about what will come so that we will live today in the right way. We're reminded as we look through Revelation 13 of the importance of understanding what God's word really is for you and for me. Revelation 13 tells us that God knows the exact plans and the playbook of the enemy. He knows exactly what will happen in the worst moments and the most unprecedented success of our enemy. He knows the enemy's playbook. And he's already told us the playbook so that we know how to live in the moment before we get there and see it unfold. We know exactly what to do. So the Word of God is telling us who God is so that we might believe in who He is in the face of the enemy's tactics to deceive and stand firm against the enemy's tactics to deceive us because we have a God who already knows all His plays and is telling us exactly what we need to believe when we need to believe it. So every time we open God's word in our life, we are having the opportunity to be reminded or taught who God is. And when we understand who God is, then we know exactly what we need to believe about him and how our lives need to reflect who he is. And we know that before we know anything about our day. And guess who knows everything about what we're going to face every day? God does. He knows the playbook of the enemy. And he's ready to tell us exactly who he is and remind us exactly who he is so we know exactly what to believe every day before the enemy ever attacks us. There is no reason for us to be deceived by the enemy because we have the word of God where God is already telling us exactly what we need to know when we need to know it. Because he knows everything we will face. And so if we're going to be a people that stand firm in light of the efforts of our enemy to deceive, we have to be a people who plant ourselves in the word of God and allow God the opportunity to remind us of who he is so that we might believe in who he is and therefore be in a position of standing firm in our faith no matter what the enemy does. I want to read to you in Ephesians chapter 6, the most explicit passage in all of God's word related to spiritual warfare and the attempts of the enemy to deceive. So listen here to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, 
And then verse 14 through 17 details the armor of God, which you could summarize as absolutely believing who God is and what God says as God brings it to mind in your life so that you stand against every scheme of the enemy's deceptive tactics in the truth of God's word day in and day out no matter what. In fact, the last piece of the armor of God is the word of God. You know the description in verse 17 of this last piece of the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit. Do you remember what we read again and again in Revelation chapter 2 and 3? We read the phrase again and again through those two chapters. Those were the letters to the churches where Jesus Christ had individual messages for each of these seven churches so that they would stand firm. And so he spoke to them messages of truth that they needed to hear in the moment. Because he knew the tactics of the enemy and the efforts of the enemy right where their church was. And so he had a timely word for each one of them to believe in who he was so they'd stand firm. You know what it says again and again in each one of those deals? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, says to the churches. Revelation wants us to understand that what we're reading about Jesus, the message from Jesus, is a message conveyed to us by the Holy Spirit of God. We are to understand that one of our chief pieces of armor that we are to gird ourselves in in order to stand firm against the the schemes of the enemy is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Not only do you and I have God's word to daily dig into, to understand who God is and what he has said in the time we need to know it, but we have the presence of God through the Holy Spirit to enable us to understand and believe the things about God that God wants us to know and believe. It is both the presence of the Word of God and the presence of the Spirit of God, quickening to our hearts the message of who God is that enables us to stand firm in the faith of the truth of God against the schemes of the enemy. You and I have the Word of God, and we also have the Spirit of God illuminating our hearts to exactly who God is and what God has said in the very moments we need to know Him. Now, Revelation 13, verses 13 and 14. Let's read that together. Revelation 13, verses 13 and 14. The beast from the earth, verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. So the beast of the earth 
is seeking to bring about the deception of all those upon the earth through the display of signs and wonders. And we know, because God tells us in Revelation 13, that as we approach the end of days, the deception on the basis of signs and wonders will increase. And when you read the Gospels, you read the book of Acts, one of the things that's clear about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit performs through Jesus Christ and through the followers of Jesus Christ signs and wonders. And yet we see a description in Revelation 13 that the end of times is going to include an increase of signs and wonders such that the world is deceived by them. Now we know that we have the Word of God to help us combat the deceptive tactics of the enemy. And we also know that we have the Spirit of God who illuminates our hearts to the truth of God's Word so that we believe the things about God when we need to believe it. But we've got a little dilemma here. Because the closer and closer we get to the end of time, the more and more signs and wonders will be a deceptive ploy of the enemy. So what are we to do? I'm really grateful that the scripture is very helpful on this subject. Because we do not want to be a people who fall into the deception of the enemy when we should never ever give way to the tactics of the enemy. God has given us exactly what we need. And we need to trust his word. And we need to understand the work of his spirit so that we are not led astray. Interestingly enough, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story. And he tells a story about a rich man And about a beggar named Lazarus, a poor man. And in the story, both of those men die. And they go to the places assigned to them after death. And the rich man goes to a place of severe torment. While Lazarus goes to a place of total comfort. He experiences the comfort of God. The rich man cries out in his place of torment and he has the opportunity to have a conversation with Abraham. He says to Abraham, I need relief. Could you send Lazarus to me to offer me relief? And He says, it's just not possible. You cannot get relief where you are. And so the rich man says, well, well, could you send Lazarus back from the dead to my family? So that my family could see Lazarus come back from the dead and realize that they cannot afford to end up here. If you just send him back from the dead, then they will believe. And if they believe, they'll escape this outcome. Please do this for my family. And the response was, your family has the word of God. And if the word of God is not enough, it will not matter if someone goes back from the dead. Now, isn't it interesting that in the end times, the dragon will use the display of somebody coming back from the dead to deceive the world? 
And here in Luke chapter 16, we have a story that Jesus is telling about someone coming back from the dead to convince people to believe in him. And he says, that's not going to do it. The, the greatest work of the Spirit of Christ is never found in the signs and wonders. You see, what Jesus is communicating in this story is the belief in God's Word is the place where the greatest work of the Spirit occurs. If they won't believe what they read in the Bible, what they believe because some great sign occurs will not be the kind of belief that connects them to me. Jesus describes this even further in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And after feeding the 5,000, the people try to find him. They, they hunt him down. They get back with Jesus. And Jesus says to the people, you worked really hard to find me. But you worked really hard to find me because you're hungry again. And you'd like me to create some more bread for you. You really should work hard to get something far more important than just temporary bread. You should work for something eternal. And so the people say to Jesus in John chapter 6, well, what is that work that is so significant that will lead us to something eternal? And Jesus says this, the work of God is this, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. You, you want to know the most significant way to give your effort in this life? Here it is. Believe in Jesus Christ. You know what the greatest, most significant work of the Holy Spirit is? To move an individual to believe in Jesus Christ. That's the greatest work of the Spirit. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15 that when one sinner repents and turns to Christ, that all of heaven breaks out in rejoicing. Why? Because there is no greater work of the Spirit of Christ than to turn a sinful person to believe in Jesus. The people in John chapter 6 respond to Jesus by saying, well, if believing in you is the greatest work, if that's what we're supposed to be about, then give us a sign so that we may know we can believe in you. You know what Jesus says about an, a, a generation that longs for signs and wonders? He says that they're evil and rebellious. Is it any wonder that in the end of times, the enemy will capitalize on the desire for signs and wonders. We, we all like signs and wonders, don't we? We love that kind of stuff. I mean, I like it to see the miraculous. I like to see things that are signs and wonders. I want to experience those kinds of things. I can read them in the Bible, and I can say, man, I'd love to see some of this. There is an, a craving in our hearts for the miraculous, no question about it. But have we misunderstood the most significant miracle of all? Jesus told them when they asked for a sign, he said, hey, if I'm not sign enough, there will never be sign enough. He said, you want eternal bread? I'm the bread. 
You want a sign to make you believe? I'm right here. Who I am and what I have said is enough. And the Spirit of God is ready to perform the greatest work of God in you. To bring you to the place of repentance. Where you will trust in me and you will follow me with all your heart. There is nothing more significant than that. You know what people did when Jesus told them that? The greater majority of the crowd that had followed Jesus because they were hungry for bread and signs turned and walked away from Jesus because Jesus by himself was not enough. And they missed the greatest work of the Spirit of God. The greatest work of God's Spirit is to bring us to the place where we are surrendered to Christ, where we have repented and we have believed in Him. There is no more greater work than that. Everything that the Spirit of Christ is doing around us today is to move us and people around us to believe in Jesus Christ and to follow Him with all their heart. The great evidence of the Spirit's presence in Revelation 13 is the steadfastness of those who followed Christ in the face of death. There is no more great evidence in Revelation 13 for the presence of the Spirit of God than for God's people to in the face of death say I will live for Christ even if it costs me my life because the spirit of Christ is enabling them to lay their lives down before Christ and follow him no matter what that is the greatest work of the spirit of Christ and that is the work that God will do in each of us every time we open his word because his spirit is with us to turn our hearts to Him day in and day out so that we might be a people who live for Christ. And a people who lives only for Christ is a people who will not be deceived. Do you long for the greatest work of the Spirit in your life? Do you have reverence for those moments you open God's word and the truth of God's word is illumined in your heart and mind and you realize, I want to become like Christ. Do you understand that that moment in your life is more significant than any sign, wonder, or miracle you could ever experience? Because that moment is the moment where the Spirit of God is turning your heart to follow Christ no matter what the enemy brings against you. There is no greater moment than that. What we need to make sure that we do is understand what the Spirit of God has been given us to accomplish in us in light of what is coming from our enemy. I want you to read with me in John chapter 14. Turn with me to John chapter 14. I want you to listen to a couple passages in John 14 and John 16 that detail the work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, starting in verse 16, says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper 
that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. Now, I will make reference to this particular scripture. You can jot this down in your notes and look at it later, but Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tells us that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the presence of the Holy Spirit. We receive the seal, the pledge, the guarantee of God's redemption for us through the presence of the Spirit. So if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have received the helper, the Spirit of truth. He is with you. Now look what he does. John chapter 16, verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. So what is the Spirit doing in you? The Spirit is revealing illuminating the truth of God to your heart and mind so that you may be prepared to face whatever comes standing firm in the faith, not moved one inch into the deception of the enemy, but standing firm in the victory of Jesus Christ. Whenever God turns our hearts that are prone to wander from him back to him in humility and faith and trust, wanting him to change us and to shape us into the image of Christ, we are experiencing the most significant and the greatest work of the Spirit of God. And we should show thanks and gratitude for that level of activity in our lives. I want to encourage us to be a church that makes much of the most significant work of the Holy Spirit by focusing in on the things that the Spirit of God does that are certain and regular. Something about the Spirit of God that you need to see here through these passages in John is that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And so what the Spirit of God reminds you of, teaches you of, illuminates your heart to see is truth. So the Spirit of God reveals truth. And when you open your Bible, you know what your Bible is going to tell you? It's going to tell you things about the Spirit of God that are true. So the Spirit of God is going to tell you the truth. And the truth of God is going to tell you what to expect from the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is all about the truth. And when we read the scriptures, we can understand that there are things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer that are certain and regular. The activity of the Spirit of God is, again, moving every one of us towards repentance daily, surrendering to Christ and following. It's the greatest work of the Spirit. And everything the Spirit is doing on a regular and certain basis is described with clarity in the Bible so that we should expect the certain and regular works of the Spirit in our lives because God has provided us just what we need to stand against the schemes of the enemy. You know what? The certain and regular works of the Spirit are. If you'll read your scripture here in the New Testament, the Old Testament as well, you're going to begin to pick up the clear, the regular, certain works of the Spirit. And they boil down to some simple things like this. 
The Lord will work in your life to enable you to follow Christ no matter what. And it will come through understanding the truth, being reminded of the truth, being convicted of sin, being brought into the body of Christ in unity so that we can help each other grow, experiencing an increasing love for one another in the body of Christ because we care more about them than we do ourselves. These are the things the Spirit of God is constantly doing in us. It's the certain and regular work of the Spirit, and we can know the certain regular work of the Spirit by studying the Word of God, which testifies the work of the Spirit, and then as we get to know what the Spirit does, the Spirit then will testify of the truth, and we get caught in this cycle of knowing exactly what we need to know, when we need to know it, because we've been given the Spirit of God. It's amazing. It all begins with whether or not you and I dig into this book And trust that we have been given the Spirit of God who is seeking to accomplish the greatest work of Christ in each of our hearts. We need to give ourselves to these certain and regular works of the Spirit. And when we experience things in life that we would say fall outside the parameter of the certain and regular works of the Spirit, we should not give those things more priority than what the Spirit of God certainly and regularly does. Let me give you an example. Let's say Saturday morning, I get up early in the morning, I go outside my front door and I walk on my sidewalk and I realize right there in the middle of the sidewalk is this huge branch that's fallen out of a tree and it's blocking my way. And I think, now that's strange. A tree has fallen down on my regular path right in front of me. Now I've got to go around or go over it. That's interesting. I get in my car, and I get in my car, and I realize I'm, I'm low on gas. And so the first stop I want to make is at the gas station. I go to the gas station, and while I'm filling up with gas, I think to myself, I'd really like a bottle of water. So I go into the store, and I'm purchasing a bottle of water, and the person right in front of me doing some business with the uh, convenience store clerk gets in a little upset situation, begins to yell at the clerk. And I'm thinking, man, that person has got issues with rage. Not good. I leave and I think, well, that's an interesting experience. And I run a few errands and I head back home and I get home. Lo and behold, much to my surprise, there on the kitchen island is this bowl of freshly made cookie dough. And right next to it are several dollar bills. I think to myself, now this is remarkable. And all of a sudden, it all comes together in my mind. God is guiding me. Do you see it? There's a tree, there's rage, there's dough, and bucks. It becomes very obvious to me that God wants me to go bow hunting. Because I like to get in a tree stand, I shoot a bow that has a rage arrow on the end, and I want to shoot does and bucks, whatever's in front of me. So I'm certain that this is the Lord's leadership, right? Okay, we would classify anything like that in the less than certain and less than regular ways the Spirit of God works, right? So here's, here's what I want you to hear from me. I'm not talking this morning about what God can do. Like, I don't want you to argue with me of whether or not God could do that. I just want to make it very clear to us this morning that what God does do is made certain and clear in His Word. And what he has made certain and regular about the work of the Spirit are the things we better cling to. And we better not get sidetracked about the things that are less certain and less regular. 
Because anything that's the work of the Spirit that's less certain and less regular is not meant to be the way we follow Christ. You know there's only one burning bush in the Bible. You don't find them in every book. Why? Because that's not how God intends to guide us. That's less regular. What you see in the Scripture is that He has given us our burning bush right here in this book and his presence is with us in a more significant, permanent way than Moses ever experienced. And the greatest work of the Spirit is combining this word with his Spirit and moving us to the place where we say, I will follow you, even into Egypt. We need to cling to the certain things and the regular things that move us to the greatest work of the Spirit. And we better not ever it's sidetracked into the things that are certainly not the work of the Spirit. I get so grieved when somebody comes to me and says to me, I believe God wants me to do so and so. And when they tell me what God wants them to do, it is so clearly in violation of God's word, it's unbelievable that they would think that God wants them to do it. And they begin to attribute certain things and circumstances and situations and trees on the driveway and all this stuff to how God's working in their life. And yet the very thing they want to do is in direct violation to the truth of God's word. What do we know about the spirit of God? The spirit of God is the spirit of truth. The spirit of God will never violate the clear teachings of, words, of the word of God. Do not get distracted by the certainly not work of the spirit. God wants you to follow him more than you will ever want to follow him. And he has given you his word and his spirit resides in you to convince you of the truth, bringing forth out of your life faithful obedience, a life of repentance. That is the greatest work of the spirit. You, you know what we all need? In the face of the worst schemes of the enemy, you know what we need? We need to be reminded that when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we became His. You know what we need to know? That our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And this book, with the Spirit of God in your life, will remind you every single day that when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, He bought you with the blood of Christ. And He will secure your life for His glory. He will not lose one that is his, so cling to him and expect him to garner your heart every step of the way. He will, because there is no more significant work of the Spirit than to grab our hearts and bring us to faithfulness. Do you want the greatest work of the Spirit? That is exactly what our community needs to be happening in our church family. A group of people who say, we want the greatest work of the Spirit. Change us. 
conform us to the image of Christ, cause us to lay down our sinfulness and take up the righteousness of Christ, work in us a repentance that we never thought possible so our world could witness the greatest work of Christ. That's what we need. Do you know what the scripture says in John chapter 15? Listen to this. This is amazing. John 15, 26 and 27 says, When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also. Because you have been with me. The greatest work of the Spirit is so that we might know and follow Christ. And when the greatest work of the Spirit is happening in you and me every day, it creates the greatest opportunity to tell about Jesus. To tell his story. And I'm convinced, and I long for this, I am convinced there is no better way to spend our lives than saying yes to the greatest work of the Spirit so that the greatest opportunity of testifying to Jesus could happen through us so that our community might see through the deceptive tactics of the enemy and come to know Jesus. It's why we're here.